Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Airport Wild Podcast. On today's episode, we're joined by three biologists from Lumakers Wildlife Management. With these three, we're going to be sitting down and talking about waterfowl management on and around airport settings. We talk about everything from using RC cars to dogs to just whatever else you can think of. It's a really fun episode. Uh, we got a lot of laughs out of it, and I hope you guys will too. And so I'll let them do all their own introductions. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Yeah, now that everybody's on, uh, kind of jump right into it. Um, Want to start off with introductions? So, sure. sure. Um, I can go first, I guess. Yeah, let's uh, we'll, we'll go clockwise. So, no, sorry. No, you are clockwise. Oh, okay. Um, I'm not on Zoom very often, so I don't really know how this all works. But anyways, um, so I am Brooke Morgan, the wildlife biologist here in Lincoln. In Nebraska, I work at the Lincoln Airport, um, and I've been with Lumakers. I'll be coming up on a year in two weeks. So excited! I guess I'll go. Uh, I'm Bradley Lewis, uh, wildlife biologist in New York, and I work at multiple airports for control, and then I uh, give trainings at a bunch of airports too. Um, I was hired back in February, so. And then at Crystal, I guess that leaves you. I'll go last. Right, I'm Crystal Alexander. I'm a wildlife biologist up here in Kowak. That's down in southeast Alaska. Um, collectively, I've been with Lumakers for just over six months now. Um, had that other project in Kansas. Okay, so you were in... Okay, you're the one that was in Kansas. Okay, I, I keep uh, hearing about who's where. Um, pardon me. I guess to fill it out... Uh, I guess I host a show, so I shouldn't give my own bio, but uh, uh, Jesse Warner, Ben Lou Makers, it'll be four years next week, actually. So, uh, yeah, and I'm based in Phoenix, Arizona, based on the Diamondbacks hat. So, going on, so the reason we're doing this podcast today is we want to talk about waterfowl management on our airfields. And, of course, you know, we have kind of the whole nation, or at least different ecosystems to kind of reflect it here, you know, uh, New York, Alaska, Nebraska, and uh, Arizona, the only place we're really missing is the southeast, but we can touch on that stuff if anybody has any experience down there. But I kind of want to go over, kind of, and I don't have any notes or anything, I want to keep this kind of flowy, but uh, just kind of how we each differ in our management practices. And to start us off, uh, Brad, you mentioned this morning. I thought it was pretty interesting on the co- on the company conference call. She had one of your airports planted corn inside the fence. That was just an airport I was doing a training at, and I guess for some reason they decided to plant a couple acres of corn, uh, or they let a farm plant a couple acres of corn. Um, but they said they didn't have any issues or any more issues with a. A higher geese population than uh, previous years, which kind of surprised me. They had more deer in it, uh, but yeah, right, that, was, that wasn't one of my airports I work at. Right, so I'm just kind of wondering what their historical levels are like 
with uh, if they say it's not going to re- reflect, are they outside of a flyway or? Uh, not too far off of their secondary runway. It wasn't. Um, but they said that the geese didn't hang out there. There was a, a wetland that on the other side of the airport that they hung out in mostly. Um, and I'm assuming yeah. this late in the year, the, the corn was chopped. Yeah, it was chopped. So I guess they, the guy I, I was training, uh, he said that they weren't going to, tra- they weren't probably going to plant corn again next year, but he didn't know that for a fact. So, right. No, that's, that's interesting. That's, that's something I would expect. Honestly, um, Brooke down your way, that's something I would have expected more so than, I guess in the Northeast. So, so maybe not saying what airport it was, but what what state were you in? Uh, northeast New York. Northeast New York. Okay. Yeah, it was a smaller airport, so I don't know if it was something to get funding or. But yeah, it's probably something they're having a hard time. So yeah, probably just using the, the least money to to yeah, help pay they for said stuff. They, they said they didn't have any more geese than usual, but like down in uh, New Jersey at some airports that I work at around there. The geese I always see outside the airport are always on cornfields. So, yeah, that's always kind of been you know an attractor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, see, I thought the cornfields would be a major attraction as soon as like they got chopped, and like I remember seeing all the machinery get moved in to chop the. Cor- I mean, my airfield, if you were to look at it from above, it's literally like almost damn near three sixty surrounded by all agricultural fields um <laughs> between hay beans and corn but like they've been chopped since like almost a month now and i have yet to see other than a few turkeys i've not seen any geese and i know where the geese have been flying and like i got their pattern almost down pretty packed now and they just ignore it all and i'm so shocked by it every day because i'm just like waiting for me to come into work one day and just like have 200 geese surrounding my airfield um, if anything, I mean, it just keeps all the fat deer really happy here. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's like, it's slightly, I mean, I'm sure with the wetland right there, that probably deters the geese away from it a little bit, but like, also with it being such like a new high, like, feeding spot right there, you think that they want to land there and you just... Right. So, can you can you repeat that quick, Brooke? Because you broke up a bit. We couldn't really hear the last part. Oh, about like uh, the New York airport having a, a newer, like um, a higher attraction to um, the geese flying over. I mean, I know there's the wetland right there, but like having them like uh, being more attracted to that corn spot because it's kind of a new spot for them, and like if there's not a lot of like predation or like risk of predation right there like that would be a, a better spot for them to go there and feed during the daytime right because i was kind of wondering if it's more so I said it better the second time well it actually came to the speakers that time but uh okay. <laughs> what i'm kind of wondering on is maybe it's weather based because i mean so i've got a pretty good hunting or hunting background with with canada's and uh, you know, when they, it seems like whenever they're hitting the corn, they're really hitting it when it's cold, you know, cold and snowy and they really need those carbohydrates. Um, I, well, I guess today, right. You guys in, in the Northeast kind of got that kind of weather. It was, uh, 
I think it was like 20 degrees up there, but there wasn't snow on the ground, so maybe that's why. Maybe they they have other food sources that they just know about, and uh, once that snow hits, maybe they'll they'll find that that cornfield, and then I, they said it was the first year, or at least the first year that that guy knew about it. So it, it, they would just, the geese might just not know about it yet, um, and they yeah. might find it in the winter, like you said, uh, when the when the uh, weather changes. Well, one other question I got for that airport. How is there timber within the fence line, or is it strictly wide open? Um, there's no woods inside the airport that I saw. Um, there are. It's not all flat though. It's uh, it's up and down. There's a lot of wetlands, but the wetlands have cattails mostly, so it's not open water like uh, how I've seen geese prefer mostly. Um, right. So I don't know if that's another reason why. Uh, they, even the area that with a big wetland, there was still a bunch of cattails there, so the geese had to push their way through to the open water. And then uh, I thought that there also might be an issue with turkeys, but I guess that wasn't an issue either. So yeah, although, I mean, although the you, you did say they had a pretty good sound like they got a pretty good deer issue going on. Yeah, but there, there's also there was holes in the fence that they that they're repairing. So. Yeah, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, and then, not to leave you out, Crystal, but you guys got any, you guys have any ag in Alaska, to be honest? <laughs> uh, no, there's no ag. They actually have kelp farming. That's about as close as it gets to ag here. Kelp farming. So do you guys have issues with brant at all? No, I haven't seen a brant yet at all. It's mostly Canada's and cackling that I've been seeing, and actually a ton of mallards. I wasn't expecting to see so many dabbling ducks, but... There's one spot just outside the airfield that you can count 100 mallards every morning pretty easy. So, my next question, is there any blinds right there? Or? There isn't. Duck hunting, like, isn't a big deal up here. I think people come up here and they get guided for uh, black bear and blacktail, and they have really cool waterfowl up here, and it's just not part of the industry. Um, they have harlequin ducks, which I would think would be a sawed-off for species, but... Yeah. No one's really into it. They're all going for mammals. I kind of wonder if some of those more adventurous duck hunters are going north, you know, getting up into, like, the, the Aleutians or Bristol Bay up in that country to... Yeah. Because you're pretty far southeast, right? You're almost a, you're right on Ketchikan? Yeah, we're... Um, it's, like, pretty level with Ketchikan, yeah. So... I don't know. I don't hear people like, oh, yeah, I did a guided, like, waterfowl hunt in Alaska. Like, if people are paying for a guided waterfowl hunt, they go into, like, North Dakota. And if they're paying for a guided hunt in Alaska, they're coming for bear, moose, caribou, sheep, like, the cool, big mammals. Right. I just don't think there's an industry for it up here, so people can't make money off of it, so. Right, versus what's a sheep hunt going for, like, 20 grand or something up there by the time you get all your, your, yeah, your plane (laughs) and your guides and all that kind of stuff? So I guess to get on back on track with waterfowl, I you know I just kind of want to talk about sheep hunting now. But uh, <laughs> lock them outside for a few minutes. But uh, yeah, so as far as so I guess as far as management styles, so how do I want to take this? So, with each of you guys in your respective states, 
I'm assuming we can all agree on probably the number one way to manage waterfowl is with a 12 gauge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but as as far as our other styles, I guess our uh, less, we'll call it active, a little bit more passive approaches. So I remember working in Buffalo, and then Brad, I know you've been out there. Yeah. And then, Brooke, did you ever get a chance to go to Buffalo or... No, I did a lot of waterfall management when I was in Rhode Island, though, so I kind of got a little taste for that East Coast management when I was back there. Yeah, Rhode Island. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I knew you were in the Northeast. And I, I thought you were in New York, not Rhode Island. But uh, so when you guys were doing it in Rhode Island, did you, other than, you know, actively, you know, hitting them with a 12 gauge or a 20 gauge, whatever you had. Uh, two, two, three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,. <laughs> What did you guys use for more passive approaches? Did you use more passive approaches? Or was it all? So, I used a lot of passive approaches actually in Rhode Island, just because like Rhode Island is uh, uh, it's so tiny and it's so densely packed with humans that like just trying to shoot things in Rhode Island was kind of scary. Some days, just everything was surrounded by houses and people's like horse pastures and roads and everything. So like um. And I also did goose control on a naval base with Loomakers, and that, you couldn't even use paintball guns or pyros or nothing. So I was really, and I know Brad's talked about this a bit on the website and whatnot, about um, using those dog effigies, and then also using canines to scare the birds away, and then also remote control boats. Just, I was, you know, I feel like anything... Passive with goose control, I was trying it to the point of like putting stakes with like long flagging to just deter them from landing in the fields and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I, I think I'll talk about goose control for a little while if you'd like. Yeah, I think we should. I think that's the, I mean, kind of the whole basis. I'm assuming that's Grace I can hear. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> She's thirsty. We went for a run before this. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, not to encroach on Brad's territory right now, but for, you know, on the East Coast, like, you know, I was using dog FGs because, like, in the naval base, we were having, I mean, they have to have their lawns looking perfect, so, like, they were always keeping them mowed down to two, three inches all the time in their soccer fields and football fields and whatnot because it's on the campus there down in Newport, and I'd have flocks of 300 geese just landing there willy-nilly but of course you know the naval base doesn't want the geese chasing people while they're on drill or the fact that you know there's feces everywhere and it's disgusting and so Loomakers actually provided me a border collie who chase geese and then I also have Grace personally who is kind of a double whammy of training and using two dogs at once was great because once she figured out it's fun to chase birds we're like oh this is going to and this is what we're going to do today so um yeah, I was using the canines a lot, along with dog FG, so it kind of, like, puts that double whammy into, like, oh, there's a dog shadow here, or, like, whatever the geese see, like, when they try to land in there, they are more scared to not, and, like, they won't land in those areas, which was great. Um, I did have an RC boat for a little while until I lost it to the ocean, because saltwater and RC boats do not get along very well, at least the one I had. Um... So, but I am looking to get another one here in Nebraska for freshwater use only because um, it is kind of annoying that, like, um, 
I'm having all these goose geese flocks around me, and they're like flying around my airfield because there's just for some reason in Nebraska they feel the need to dig these lakes or whatever you want to call them for like um, boating uses. I guess I don't really know why we have all this extra water here, but people like it, so we have it, and it's all ornamental. But then we have all these geese that land on it, so I'm trying to find ways of you know talking to these private landowners to hopefully. Um, at least going and chasing the geese that they don't want on their private lands either because I guess that they've made, like, the water so toxic that humans can't even swim in them. So, um, yeah, that's... I'm going to end that rant before I start on that one. <laughs> well, no I, think, no, I think you hit it on some good points because, like, I'm, so I've never used an RC boat. So are you just using the boat onto itself? Do you add yeah. anything to it or...? So I would literally just, like, send the boat out into the water and, like, you know, because the dogs only go so far and, you know, Grace can swim and she has swam after some flocks of geese, but that's limited. Um, And so, yeah, I just put the boat in the water and I kind of just send it out there and you just kick them up and you kind of just keep ripping it around in the water until, like, they just disperse and get out of there. And that's what I'm hoping to do with some of my off-site survey points just because, like, there's this one pond. I every day I drive past it. There's two, three hundred geese and gulls on this tiny little pond, mm. but it's at like some factory place that like is all fenced off, so it's not like just easy to like walk up and do anything with it. So I gotta really talk to everybody about that. But with COVID, they're really strict. Grace, you need to lay down. Um, <laughs> COVID is really strict right now in Lincoln, so it's kind of hard to just approach these people that you know I don't work with and they don't know who I am so like they don't want people coming onto their property that like is already gated off to begin with um but yeah and and it works great I mean geese hate it like sometimes they do get a little like brave with the um with the boats and stuff and you kind of almost have to like run into them I mean we all know how geese can be temperamental but uh once they kind of figure out, like, what's coming at them, I would be curious what it'd do if you'd, like, added flagging to it or even, like, a noise. I feel like that would also, like, deter them from wanting Cody, to be- oh. Co- Cody and I had talked about trying to get, like, an effigy on one, but yeah, uh, the RC boat cool. that we use goes goes a little too fast. I, I blinked once, and it was out of... It was pretty far away, so... <laughs> I don't think that'd work yeah. too well, and I think it'd blow over uh, and get in the water, so... But we use a, I there's also a, a New Jersey County project that I I work on every once in a while, um, and it's at a, at state parks and everything or county parks I mean, um, so you can't depredate. So we use the RC boat and uh, paintball guns, but people, the public is uh, less worried when there's an RC boat in the water than when someone's shooting paintball guns at geese in the water. So. But then again, also, it, 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 I don't know the range of, of the RC boat, and I mean, it's getting cold, so I wouldn't want to go swimming after if it gets out of range, so <laughs> it does have its downsides, and it doesn't last, the battery isn't uh, too great. But. So, what kind, so I guess for those two, I got two questions, like, what kind of range are you getting, and how bad is the battery, like, like 10 minutes, 20 minutes? I, uh, well, for the one that was at the office, um, I was just practicing, uh, at my apartment in, in a little pond, and I think I ran it for 40 minutes, and then I could I could tell that it ha- was having a little less power. It wasn't going quite as fast. And the the turns the, the turns were still sharp and everything, 
but I wouldn't I wouldn't really push it to an hour probably. Um, and I didn't I didn't test the range because again I didn't want to go swimming. It's <laughs> too cold for that now. So <laughs> right, you have to get a piece of string and just send it out, see how far it goes, yeah. and then just pull it right back to you. I mean, fishing line. Yeah, fish. Except, yeah, except except if uh, it could get caught in the propeller because there is a lot of maintenance that goes in, into uh, keeping that propeller running good. Um, right. I'm guessing that's why the salt water it just corroded like the glue and everything. Yeah, like even like trying to like I'd rinse it out with fresh water. Like I'd have a bottle of water in my truck all the time and like make sure like it would be uh, in a dry spot. So like one, it wouldn't freeze because like I did. You know, I started in December and like I was still using this during the winter months. Um, I did try to like maintain it to like hopefully not corrode it, but yeah, it just kept getting corroded in the battery. And like we ordered some new parts to it, and it just got to the point like it just kept getting fried. And I don't know if it's because like you know we do run them at high speeds and whatnot for short little amount of times. And like I think the farthest I ever let it get away from me was I'd say probably like seventy five, eighty yards if I had to guess. That's how far I'd let it go. But, like, the tide usually was always coming towards me, so, like, if it did kind of get too far out there and, like, died out there, but my whole goal was it would just float back to me, but that didn't end up happening when mine actually did die out in the ocean. <laughs> um, I never found that boat again. It was a really sad day. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it is kind of a lot of tedious little maintenance, and, like, if you don't really know how to take care of them i can see how easily it is to like one break one and then also like you know have just like this little thing go wrong and like and you're out a boat right so there's a lot more to it you know than so i'm assuming these aren't just like walmart special kind of boats are kind of more ordered or are they kind of like walmart i, I call them walmart special probably not the best term to be using for them but uh is that kind of what you guys are using or be honest with you, I do not remember the brand even. What this one, I'm sure Cody probably orders us the same ones, though. This one, I just I just gave it off to the uh, the person in New Jersey. Otherwise, I'd look at it a little more and try to show you guys. But it was here when I was hired, so I have no clue about it. Yeah, I'm kind of curious about that. I mean, we don't really have spot. Well, I mean, we have water here in Arizona. Uh, go figure. But uh, yeah, we don't really have them for that. But uh, I'm just kind of wondering, so as far as, do they make, like, having electric motors, do they make a lot of noise, or are they pretty... Mine was, the one I was using is very silent, um, you can, you can hardly hear it's going, I mean, you can hear, you mostly just hear the propeller hitting in the water, splashing behind it. Well, I kind of yeah, wanted... like, there's, like, a slight hum to it, and then, like, but other than that, yeah, you kind of don't really, it's not really noisy in general. So I'm just kind of wondering if you were to attach a, I don't really know any specifics, but maybe like a like a low wind powered like kazoo or whistle or something to it. You Hang know, on the front or something, kind of like a deer whistle. You mean? Like for, yeah, for like vehicles? right to the cab. Yeah, just something that when you're yeah. when you get zipping across, it's gonna it's gonna. So, are you guys I familiar? Could, with I like, could test that. Well, I'm just kind of wondering. So you guys are you guys familiar with like World War II aircraft, or is that? <laughs> so I'm thinking. So the Germans had uh, an aircraft, the uh, Junkers 88, the the Stuka, and when they would dive, they'd make a loud whistle. But there was a, a siren, a wind powered siren that was in the wheelbase of of that aircraft, and it would just you know it was a dive bomber. You know when it was diving down, it was to terrify 
whomever they were dropping bombs onto. But so I'm kind of wondering if there's something like like a put a Stuka whistle on one of these planes just to make it scream going across, and if that would you know maybe help you guys in the water. Are they big enough that you could like put a speaker on them? Oh, that's a good idea. I think this, a speaker would be a little too heavy. I mean, it, it, it's at least one, again the one that I was using it was pretty. It's just all plastic, and then like the heaviest part is the is the motor itself, and then also the battery inside, which is encased inside. So I don't know if a speaker would be too heavy or if it could lopsided it and flip it over. I don't know if, if Brooke, when you were dealing with waves, if uh, how often like it flipped over. I mean, I'm was also trying to figure out because I've never been good with like video game controllers or just controllers <laughs> in general. So it's kind of really touchy and like it took a minute to get really used to. But after a little while, like you kind of there was also a point of waves and wind that I didn't use it because like you just didn't want to like risk it or it like would kind of be redundant if it was like you know three foot waves coming in because it's such a little boat that it's not going to get across though. So like um yeah, but once yeah it. There are little testy things. I feel like there could be some kind of waterproof speaker out there that might actually work on that, but, like, it would it'd be a trial run at all times. Like, you'd have to figure out what would be the best way, where to put it, and, like, how it all work out, especially, like, dealing with water and, like, where you'd be using it. Like, little ponds or, like, lakes and stuff, I feel like that could be pretty successful with, too. I like the idea of, like, attaching a kazoo to it because i mean that's cheap so if it, if it falls in the water it's not going to be a huge issue i might i might have to test that out and get back to you guys. right go to dollar store spend another 50 cents yeah <laughs> but uh no that's because my next idea if, if you had one that's a little more sturdy you know that's not going to tip over is uh maybe make our own little navy like strap them like get a little paintball gun and strap right to it and just to go at just go into the flotilla kind of thing <laughs> Like an airsoft pistol or something. <laughs> oh, even better. Yeah, just take the guts out of it. Maybe I don't want to publish this. Maybe this should just be a recording, uh, a session for us to come up with new ideas for new products. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so going on to that, uh, I guess we should, if we're staying more with the active side. So, in addition to the RC boats, I mean, I think we've all used paintball markers. Uh, the Haraskis. I mean, those are pr- can be pretty dang effective. Uh, you know, just don't freeze the paintballs. Then it gets really effective. I've, I mean, yeah, sometimes they're effective, the paintball markers. But on one of the New Jersey County projects, the paint the the paintball gun has a range that it's accurate, and paintball guns aren't accurate to begin with. Right. So, like at a certain distance, it loses all velocity, and then. Uh, they're like I've had geese that I've pretty much hit, and they just sat there. So I'm not a huge fan of the paintball gun. I feel like it would be a little more accurate and powerful sometimes to use a slingshot with paintballs in it <laughs> than it is those stupid paintball guns. They're just a pain to deal with, and you got to deal with CO2 on top of it. Right. I don't think it's worth it. No, I mean I think they got their own time and place, but I think it's. I don't know. I seem. I always liked them more for, especially in the springtime when you've got your 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 mated pairs, and you're just trying to get rid of a couple of you know a couple of birds at a time versus you know like three four hundred of them. But uh, I like them in the water. I like using it in the water. I find that way more effective. Just 
uh, shooting in the water next to the geese. But on land, I don't. I, I just haven't Didn't, had good don't luck care with for it. them. Yeah. Yeah, nope. I mean, I do agree with you, Jesse, about using them for smaller. Because like my one smaller airport in Rhode Island, like um, they uh, were having issues with like it was like four to six geese, and like I was bouncing around between five different airports, so I can always be there. So I was like, one day I was like, you know what? Why don't you borrow my paintball gun? It's great. You can just, because they'd be riding in their tractors mowing and anything. I'm like, I showed them how to use it and whatnot, and I was like, just have at it. Like, if it works, it works. If not, I'll come back and I'll get it when I come back the next day. And it actually, it did work for a little while, and then I think we ended up cracking a lot of my paintball gun talking about that maintenance that Crystal just said. Um, and then this was also during COVID, so no paintball gun shots paintball gun shops were open for a little while in Rhode Island while everything was shut down, so no. that kind of put a little uh, end to that. But it did work for the moment that we used it <laughs> for smaller pairs. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, that's... Cause I think that would definitely be effective from, you know, that standpoint, because that's not a, a vehicle they're used to being harassed from. Right, in the exactly, because like, they knew, like, the airport maintenance trucks pretty well and like they kind of knew mine but even then like i would just shoot them with a 223 at the airport whenever i could <laughs> um so that way i didn't have to get all that close but and when it comes to larger flocks like i love using grace for that like it's just so fantastic if i can't shoot right then and there or like it's just a little bit easier sometimes it's just like just dump her out of the truck and she just knows what she's doing and you know kicks them up and if i can push them in the right direction it just works out really well too but that's also passive for going to the active side. So. No, and I think I just, just I think just having the conversation is is all I'm really looking for. But uh, yeah, so thinking about trying to go to some other methods. So have you guys ever tried? Uh, so if you have a field that you are trying to make, you know, your field maybe being your infield or your on your airfield, have you guys ever tried putting like an odd object out there to uh, to try to deter birds from landing? You mean like uh, posts and flags? Yeah, or? like posts, flags. Uh, so scarecrow. <laughs> yeah, pretty much a goose scarecrow. You know, does, have you guys ever tried anything like that around any of your fields? Or I did on the naval base for a little while, and it does work. Like, I mean, I just feel like, well, one, it's kind of just an annoying maintenance thing. Like, if you can't be there every day. It was, like, kind of stressful every day, like, with it being so windy in Rhode Island, right on the coast, that, like, right. you know, the post would break, or the string would crack off, or um, the effigies break all the time on the coast, and it was just, like, it would be the spring part of the effigy would break. So the whole point of the effigy would just, like, crack and break so easily because they're, like, they're not really that durable. Um, so it was just kind of aggravating. Or, like... My favorite thing would be so windy that they'd be spinning so fast that they'd, like, put this little rut into the ground, and then they'd get stuck in the rut, rut that they created. <laughs> and Or they'd fly off. That was also another issue I had. So When I was, when I was down in Rhode Island, I can't remember. Uh, what were you using for, for stakes? Was it the wooden pegs, or was it uh, metal? I tried wooden ones, but those broke all the time, or, like, the ground would be too frozen for me to drive the wooden stakes in. Um, and then I got a hold of, like, rebarb or something of those yeah. plants. But then that's how the springs break easier. Yeah, that's what uh, we had found out in the New Jersey was that it's better to have the wooden pegs be- or stakes because those are a lot cheaper to fix than the spring itself. 
So right, it's better exactly. to have the, it's better to have those break than uh, stick it on rebarb and have the whole effigy break pretty much. So. Right. No, that's pretty interesting. I'm just I'm just thinking back to. Uh, so I've never used the effigies in that sense, but uh, I know sometimes like if we had birds that we wanted that were landing in one spot, especially you know short term, uh, you know just throw a bag or something out there, something that's not going to you know try not to become fod, you know of course, but uh, right. like a, one of my favorites actually has always been orange trash bags, uh, you know it's something mm-hmm. bright enough, um, you know they're pretty cheap as long as you can find them, cause, you know the orange ones are kind of the oddballs, but. Sometimes you can put those out there first, you know, an afternoon, something if you got birds in the area, just uh, put them down and just something to, you know, something's off and so they'll slide off to someplace else. Or works really good if you're trying to hunt them too, because then if you're using the wrong part of the field, you can put one of those flags out and they slide back into your part of the field. So. <laughs> right. And uh, also, I don't know if I would recommend that too much for Brooks at, because people use your little like. I gotta be honest. Is you all of a sudden your sound kind of like cut right out? So <laughs> something about white trash bags and snuggies. Attracting snuggies. Oh, people yeah, use yeah. like the white trash bags. They're not like actual trash bags, but uh, your grocery sacks. Yep. You know, uh, people use those as snuggies decoys because it's just little white dots out in the field yep. instead of buying actual decoys. So that might have a reverse effect if you're in one of their flyways. Well, that's where it comes using the orange ones instead of the yeah. the white ones or the black ones, and uh, yeah, I've used white bags to as impromptu snow geese. I mean, I mean, there's a whole industry around. Well, wind socks pretty much is just a just a extra heavy duty trash bag is all they really are. But uh, and, uh, sorry, no, sorry, no, no, go, go ahead, go Jesse. ahead. Um, yeah, so down in in New Jersey. Uh, it's not on the airfield. It's in the light lanes outside the uh, perimeter fence. But there's uh, the whole light lane fields. We have uh, stakes with, like, I think they're eight or eight feet stakes with orange flags whipping around. And, I mean, I haven't ever seen any geese in the uh, light lanes since I started. So I think they're working pretty well. But for, like, the ep- uh, just, like, a, a foreign object, um, like the 3D effigies that don't move at all. I've seen geese right up next to them. So, Yeah, I think with the effigies, you've really got to have, you know, you've really got to have that more active, you know, having the dog actually. Because I think the effigies on their own, you know, it's they're kind of a feel-good measure. Yeah, it works better when you have a dog. I don't have a dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to have some way to, you know what maybe you ought to do is get a, you're talking about putting an effigy on a boat. Maybe get an RC truck and put an effigy on it. It's exactly what Cody. So- that's exactly what Cody said back when I started, and I have yet to be able to find an RC car or a truck that uh, is cheap enough and can go in cheap most enough. terrains. So, right. I, think- I mean, if you if you guys have free time, feel free to look it up for me because I'd be happy to to use an RC car. Right. Cause, I mean, I'm thinking to be able to take the weight. You're gonna need to get up into the gas powered ones. Yeah. Versus I mean, the electrics. I'm okay with using one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we can get a pro deal with Traxxas or somebody. <laughs> That'd be a whole new market for them is just wildlife management. 
Plus, they're so noisy, too. Those gas ones, like, yeah, have exactly. one of those come whining at those geese and everything like that. Like, I mean, I know eventually they might get used to it, but at the first, like, I feel like they'd be so scared of it. I know uh, Grace is, is pretty well trained in, like, chasing geese and everything, but not all dogs are. And it also save on having to train new dogs to do that. So, because you, you, you have the remote, you can just control the whole RC car. Right. Hey, Cody talked to me about training the dogs for this kind of thing, so don't take that away from me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I don't think, I mean, personally, I mean, I'm a dog guy, so I, mean, I, I don't think anything will take away from the dog, but I think in places where a dog is not viable or it's not, you know, it's not required for, you know, more than one or two days, I mean, you spend a couple hundred bucks on an RC truck and you're good. I mean, I travel between airports quite often and... I mean, it wouldn't be very feasible for me to have a dog. So an RC car would it might it might be pretty effective and efficient, right? And I'm, and I'm thinking too for for airports that maybe don't have us or have us all the time. You know, that's something they could easily throw in their in their toolbox just to. I bet they'd be happy to have an RC car. Oh yeah, they'd be, they'd be <laughs> practicing every day at lunch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. That would entertain all of my guys. They would love that, honestly. And I'd get so many phone calls from them being like, so today we did this with our car. I'd be like, I don't want to hear this. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and, so, and a little while later, you start seeing ramps out the dry, out on the parking lot. and <laughs> It's just practice. We're getting used to the, the ruts out in the, out in the field. We just don't want to dirty it up out there. They got I mean, too used, have... used of the... Uh, to the car just be on the ground so you got a little get a little air underneath it so uh <laughs> ups the efficiency oh i can just imagine somebody now trying to plan it out like a bunch of geese right next to a ditch and just jumping it right into the right into the flock <laughs> oh too much fun but yeah I mean, knowing my airport i feel like they would find a way to like put firecrackers on it and have it light up like in toy story and that's exactly what would be happening around my airfield <laughs> But, I mean, in all reality, that's more going for you. I mean, as long as you're not, you know, shooting everybody else. No, yeah. No, I know. So, I could totally see that, especially with it being, I mean, it's not all that flat here. Like, we have enough hills, but, like, just shooting at flocks with, like, having something come off the car to scare them and be, like, loud and noisy and bright and stuff. I can see somebody rigging up a solenoid and a bunch of uh, pyro launchers. (laughs) Yep. Yes, that, I could see that as well. Yeah. That would be fun. It'd be a lot of fun. Again, if you guys have some spare time, feel free to look this up for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, I keep feeling like I got things back to something, but this is on our subject. But uh, going into something a little bit slower. So, another trick that I know we've used in Buffalo and... I don't know if any if you guys have used this on your airports or not, but have you tried the? Uh, it's we usually we all used over water, but uh, using the grid wires, you know, having them zigzag over a ditch or something to to keep birds from going in. They're still up there in Buffalo. They are good. Yeah, cause I think a mower might have got one or two. But I mean, I, I I know exactly where you're talking about where they are. They're on a small stream. Yep. Um, right off the end of the runway. I've never seen geese in that stream up there i've seen a lot of ducks in there though so maybe the, the wires are just too far apart for, for them to be effective against ducks and far enough apart that they're effective as geese so yeah and actually i believe that that was 
I believe that was actually implemented for herons. I think they were having a lot of issues with uh, blue herons getting into that stream. I don't remember seeing any blue herons up there, so I guess it's nice. working for that. Too. It's working. Cause, I mean, they're. I mean, in well reference to what we're talking about. I mean, I know we don't consider them in the same guild when we're doing the surveys, but I mean, as far as this conversation goes, I mean, I think anything, any bird in the water is fair game. Yeah. You know, even a killdeer. I'd call it killdeer. But uh, Crystal's like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> But, uh, yes, I've been loving those wires, and that's something actually I need to do out here. We got a, uh, uh, I guess a stream is what you could call it. It's, it's a perennial flow, but it's, it's all pretty much runoff from the irrigation in the area. So it's not really a natural water, but then it goes downstream, and then other farmers use it for ag. But it goes right through the middle of one of our airports out here, and we'll get, uh, uh, snowy egrets in there so that's a trick we're going to be using pretty soon is putting up some of the grid wire and uh in buffalo have they have, is the flagging still on the wire or do they finally take that down or i never seen flagging on it so it must have been gone before i yeah i mean uh, it had only been in place for a year when i was in buffalo i think i think the flagging would help when mowing the uh the vegetation nearby because that's what it's just uh, like the snow fence stakes, like yeah. the green stakes that blend in. So I think that's why some of them got hit and the wires got knocked down was because they just blended in so well. So the flagging might help uh, for mowing purposes. Yeah, I'm kind of um, wondering, for instead of flagging too, I wonder if we took a, you know, got some Krylon, just some rattle cans with some orange paint or yellow or whatever and just, you know, touched up the top foot or so just so they'll, they'll see them so they don't. Cause I'm assuming they're yeah. knocking them down with a big bat wing kind of mower. Yeah, maybe I'll get a, maybe I'll try doing that next time I go out to Buffalo, adding that stuff on, see if that helps. Yeah, I think it might. Uh, just from that aspect, I'm not sure. Cause, I mean, I think it, the whole reason for it was to try to get the birds away. Because I know they didn't want the flagging on the wire itself. Because the wire, the flagging used to be on the actual wire, like you know, over the spaces, and but uh, no, remember they got rid of them and. Uh, one tool that I've never used, and I'd be interested if you guys have ever used it, but have you guys ever used the bird balls on an open water source? I don't know what that is. No? Oh, those, yeah, like the little, like, um, they're like, uh, uh, I would say probably just shy of a volleyball size, I guess. Or they... You might want. That, you might want to repeat that again. You, you broke up again. Okay, sorry. Um, this is my internet connection is unstable. I'm very sorry. Um, I so yeah, those bird balls. They're like oh, they're damn near volleyball size, right? There's them. different sizes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't personally ever used them for, like, airport stuff, but I've seen them used, like, on our settling ponds at school, like, when I was in college. Like, we used to use those all the time to keep the birds out of them. And um, I think that they, like, if they're done correctly, I think they can be very successful to keeping them away and also, like, using riprap around the area. But, like, also, like... I don't know, the, like, waterways that I have here in Nebraska, like, we have a creek that runs right on the south end of, uh, right outside of my airfield, and 
that is not, like, it is a tight creek for them to come flying into. I mean, they fly really low, too, and I'm sure that all the birds around here are quite used to that kind of habitat, but it's something kind of different for me to see with, you know, all of the um, shorelines are just straight, like, up and down. Like, there is no shoreline, and there's a lot of rocks and stuff like that, so... Um, but I feel like the bird balls could be effective if they're, you know, uh, put on the waterway perfectly. So, and maybe you said it, maybe I missed it, but was this on standing water or was this on moving water? Standing water. It was like settling ponds for like farm and ag stuff. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, so Brett, have you, you haven't seen them or never? I've never even seen them and I, I drive past Scale College. Or every time I'm home, so I maybe I just haven't noticed them, but it sounds like it's just like oh, a yeah, volleyball. You can't, oh yeah, you can't see this from the road. It's up on one of the hills in like one of the newer settling ponds. But also like this yeah. was you know going on five years now. Scary that I've almost been in college that long. Um, it's uh, it was a years. certain person's project, so I don't even know if they kept them in there either. Yeah, I ne- never heard of them. Never heard of them. Yeah, so it's pretty much like Brooke said. It's it's they're just balls, just a plastic ball. Uh, but you just pretty much fill a dump truck full of them and back them right up, and just dump them into the water, and it and it blocks all the access to, to the water itself. It just covers the whole water surface, uh, and just makes it so it's unusable by birds or anything else that keeps the sun on or off of it, and um, what well, keeps them from from not blowing away in a strong wind? Is there like sand in them? Uh, I think half of them fill up with water. Some of them are, like, built so, like, like there's a hole on, like, one half side. So, like, you take the, the sphere of the ball and, like, inside of it, there's, like, a divider, I know, in some of them. And, like, that'll fill up with water. So it keeps, like, top of them, like, the top part afloat, but then the bottom part's, like, in the water. But, like, they kind of just, like, sit there. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, but, you know, losing them or... uh you know, sometimes they'll sink. You know, so that it it is more of a management uh, management of the the bird balls themselves, kind of. But they they can be pretty pretty effective. But another one that uh, you actually just mentioned, Brooke, I wanted to talk about is the installation of riprap around a water uh, water site. We'll call it water body. Right. Yeah. So, so I'm, I mean, I'm figuring folks that are listening to this don't know what we're talking about when we're taking riprap so well brick do you want to describe it since you brought it up <laughs> um so what i know riprap to be is like you put certain kinds of rocks or stones or debris just anything that like deters them if there's like a good spot for them to land on shore like you know they don't just land in the water they like a lot of geese and like large flocks some of them are feeding up on the shore some of them are hanging out in the water but if there is no like nice shoreline for them like especially around like lakes and ponds and stuff like that they're gonna they're more deterred from landing there just because like there's no point if they can't feed and hang out right because i mean i because i mean it's usually big broken chunks of rock and stuff like that and you know it keeps them so they can't you know waddle back out onto the land but uh crystal as far as i'm just kind of wondering is it is Alaska like naturally all riprap, or you guys have like mud flats, or you guys ever deal with any of this kind of stuff we're talking about? Uh, kind of a mix of both. It's more near the runway. Um, it's definitely just tidal area and marshy, 
the issue with a lot of these suggestions is that it is title. It's not just like, you know, the pretty ponds at a golf course, like I was dealing with at Hutch, that are attracting the geese. It's a much bigger body of water. So, I don't know what you have for equipment up there or not, but I was, I was wondering, do you have like a laser? Because I found out that a laser from a far distance works pretty good, but only with low light conditions. So now that daylight savings has happened, it's darker more. So the laser is pretty effective, but sounds like that yeah. worked if it for title. Yeah, um, I haven't used a laser yet. Um, Cody ordered some propane cannons that we're going to go put out there. Uh, apparently they've done propane cannons before, but they just put them on a timer and the geese got used to it. Um, but the ones that he's ordering me are remote controlled, so we'll see if it it's a little better or not. But it's not, I mean, when I was down in Hutch, the problem with geese and wetlands and everything was just more like the golf courses and like residential areas with pretty ponds and stuff. Which riprap would work, but like those balls wouldn't because they put right. that pond in for a reason. They're not going to want to cover it with plastic. Yeah, here in Nebraska. I swear, I don't understand pretty ponds. Yeah. But also, like, it, I think it was just redneck enough where I was at. Like, I could call dispatch and then go do goose removal at night with a 22, like, within city limits. So, <laughs> I don't think, like, some of these solutions, they sound more like East Coast or big city where you can run into those issues. I've just never lived somewhere that they care that much about the geese, so... <laughs> I have one pond that's actually on airport property, and, like, the geese overnighted there one night, so I said something to one of my friends, and I was like, you know, I'm going to go out there with my spotlight the one night and just call airport police and tell them, like, what I'm doing, and just, you know, go take care of them. They haven't overnighted in that pond since I said something, so I just jinxed myself, apparently, and I'm like, cool, like, I have this great plan to take care of these geese legally be able to do it and then not have to worry about shooting around people's houses because like it's on airport property and there are no houses there and then that went yeah it just didn't work out but um i'm hoping that maybe i can talk to some of the private ones that don't like the geese um if i could do some stuff like that too within city limits and if noise is an issue i know cody really likes to advocate for 17s over 22s but i've put those subsonic rounds in 22s before and i've I've dealt with staplers louder than that, so... Yeah, exactly. Subsonics and 22s are very fantastic, and I'm a big advocate for that as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... I've been it's... using the uh, pellet rifle. I mean, you guys mentioned the shotgun, but I think I've shot more geese this year with the just the 22 pellet rifle. Oh, uh, I 100% shoot almost all of my waterfowl with the rifle, not with the shotgun. Yeah, I mean, those air rifles are... They're pretty slick. I mean, I use a 25 cal instead of a 22, so I mean, our, my range isn't as far because I'm shooting a little bit heavier pellet, but I've been loving that thing. Not that I shoot nearly as many waterfowl as you guys. Yeah, I, I like it because it's, I mean, a lot of the water sources that on the airports I work near, uh, they're they're right next to the fence where people people are either walk on the road or right. houses nearby, so I mean, it's a lot, lot quieter and... Uh, I draw less attention to myself because I don't yeah. want well, I don't want to get yelled at. <laughs> right, and, and yeah. nobody wants to be in the clock news either. But most but, of my waterfowl depredations happen in the 
have been able to feel the shotgun now because, like I said, we just have that creek that, like, runs along the back end of the airport. Um, and honestly, like, I, um, I knew if I were to hit it a little too hard all the time, like, they would stop landing there because they're already getting really scared of my truck. And, like, I've only been doing, like, this for a week or two. So it's kind of nice for them to, like, they see my truck from, it's, it's a good distance away, like, in one of the open areas that they can see me. It's just finding them in those, like, hidden areas now, so I'm, like, trying to find all their hiding spots without falling down the ravine of the creek bed. Um, but I kind of go in there, and, like, I'll take Grace down with me, and, like, I'll shoot whatever I can get uh, a hold of. But even just having that loud sound, like, I know it's making them all sorts of scared of, like, my truck and the dog and yeah. the shotgun to do, so it's been kind of working to keep them out of that area. Right, and maybe that's something, like, once... Uh if you need to, maybe going in later with a, like a uh, with one like an air rifle and a night sight or so subsonic twenty two and a night sight and getting in there and kind of being more a little bit more selective. That's how I call right. it selective, but. But I also have been having uh, my issue too is I've been having a lot of migratory species that are not on, you know, that depredation list that we have. So I get a little scared about taking so, like a lot of emergency takes at once too. But that's also something I'm going to keep track of if I do have to edit my um, my list that I have. Right, right, yeah. Because those emer- yeah, they can. It's a lot of paperwork when you start taking a lot of emergency takes. It is a lot of paperwork, and I was just like, oh, do I really want to do that? And like, <laughs> I would think that they would be on this list if they're like, you know, they're coming through every year. But I just don't know because I've never lived in the Midwest before. So I'm also just trying to figure out what. Um, how much of a problem that they could possibly be. Right, right. Well, all the rarities are only coming through because you moved out there. I know. I'm just <laughs> sure. But I will say one thing, just for I will give the caveat, and I think this is why Cody goes 17, is why I like the 17 more, mm-hmm. but uh, doesn't ricochet like the 22 yeah. as well. I know his reasoning for the 17. It's just 17 ammo can be a little bit harder to get your hands on. Yep. And... I mean, I grew up with that twenty-two. Like it was just, it was an awesome tool for me to have. But I do, I know the seventeens are safer. Right. So, I guess while we're on that subject, how is, how are the ammo sale levels in your or ammo availability levels in your area? I want to talk about ammo and ammo sales and trying to find ammo. Oh my God, do I hate all of it so much? <laughs> it is so aggravating the fact I can never find two, two, three ammo. I can't. Like, for a long time, I could not find 12-gauge ammo. Finally, like, we got that settled in. Um, can't really find 22, which is funny. Crystal, you said, like, finding 17's hard. Everywhere I go, I can find 17 ammo, but I don't have a 17. So I'm like, cool. You're, you'll um, be getting one, probably. There's there's an extra one at the office now. Okay, well, I hope it's going my direction. That'd be great. <laughs> um, yeah, but, like, I've actually made friends with uh, people that reload, and that's what I've come down to is buying stuff for reloading. And if I can find the reloading stuff, which is also just as hard to find as ammo. And I don't know, like, I've tried Wyoming and Nebraska, and um, I'm going to Kansas in a couple weeks to go duck hunting, so I'm going to go look down there. Like, anytime I find ammo, I, like, get my hands on it, but, like, just trying to find it is hard. So, yeah. Yeah, I got pretty stocked up on ammo. Um, They are limiting it to two boxes of whatever caliber um around here but i haven't like run into any like major issues i know when covid was like first kind of happening in march i was still in hutch and i went to go pick up some shotgun ammo just not even thinking of it and 
Walmart was wiped out. Like, and I wasn't even thinking like doomsday or anything. Like, I just needed to restock on ammo. Um, so I ran into a couple issues this spring when like everything was first going down, but not since then. And then being on this island, I actually haven't run into an issue. I have a harder time buying tortillas than ammo. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a. I mean, Cody keeps the. Uh, the rifle ammo pretty stocked up here, so I never had an issue with that. Um, but for like the shotgun shells, when migration was starting, I realized that we didn't have any like goose loads or anything like like low num- low number shot. So, mm-hmm. but I had plenty of like eight uh, eight grade shot for trainings because that's what <laughs> we use with clay pigeons. So right. I was stuck with with low brass eight shot uh trying to take on geese and it was not working very well i was i mean i was scaring them away but it i mean they came right back so it and it took me a long time to find uh find like one one or two per shot but it's getting better around here i think for for shotgun shells not for rifle ammo it's still terrible and i've gone i guess i've checked in five states now in new in new england and they're all everyone's struggling so now, all summer long like I could only find target load here in Nebraska so like that's all I was using and I was like well you know because I wasn't really sure when like the goose migration would like fully pick up here or, like how much of, like a worry about goals I'd have or anything like you know larger body birds so I was just like you know if that actually comes I'm like I'm screwed because like I was not ready for it but then I think it was oh I was in Wyoming at Sportsman Warehouse, and I just like bought three hundred dollars worth of shotgun shells. And I was like, I'm taking it all back with me. It's like, screw you guys in Wyoming. Like, I need it all for work. Like, I was so happy when I finally found it because, like, it's just like so nice to like actually fill up our thing and kind of get stocked up and not have to worry about not being able to find it because, like, I just could not find it anywhere here in Lincoln. Um, still having that issue with with rounds, but like I said, I'm right. Well, nope. Right. Well, it's not like they ever use shotguns in Wyoming. It's all rifle work in that state, anyways. All those, all they want to shoot in Wyoming is is elk and mule deer. Pronghorn. Well, yeah, and a lot of pronghorn. But you you look at a pronghorn funny, he's gonna fall over. I mean, I know guys that have you know done it pretty well with them with uh, uh, two twenty threes and twenty two two fifties. Actually, I knew a lady in. Maine that she shot a moose with twenty two to fifty was a calf, but actually that that's not in Maine, sorry, that was in Vermont. I was working at a check station, the lady comes in, it's a and it's a thirty cal minimum up there. And uh she walks up, you know, she has her while working at a check station, pulls up. So the next question was like, Hey, what what'd you shoot it with? And she says, Twenty two two fifty. Me and the bio look at each other like, What'd she just say? And she would have walked up, you know, perfect heart shot. I mean, it was like a fifty yard poke and uh but so we marked it down as two fifty savage and call it a day. But it was what county in Vermont was that? That was up in Island Pond. That was northeast, then. Yeah, right. it was a northeast kingdom, but I forget what county that is. Yeah. But yeah, we were up in the kingdom. It was a uh, every year for college, a bunch of us from Paul Smith would go up and and uh, we'd volunteer and help the, the the agency with their check stations. But yeah, I just. I, couldn't believe she shot that moose with a 22-250. But. Um, I'm on the Alaska, like a Facebook page for Alaska Hunt and Fish, and 
someone just posted they got a cow moose with a 243 and like i know it was a cow but that was that's a still a lot of animal <laughs> yeah that's a big choice for a 243 win she said it was a less than 100 yard shot um but there wasn't a whole lot of details on it so like i mean i have my 243 and if i ever finally get myself to go elk hunting like i definitely will not be using that like i'll be getting a bigger gun for sure <laughs> i mean guys use it here once in a while for for elk but i mean just because 243 is a wicked popular deer around here because we shoot mm-hmm. uh we got these little coos deer down here in southern Arizona, and you know that's long shots so on very small deer. I mean, most of these things you can tie the legs like a backpack and just walk them out of the woods. That's before you dress it. They're 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 not very big, so. But uh, not forget where we were on the actual subject at hand. Uh, ammo availability. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Shooting geese with rifles. Yeah, shoot. Yeah, yeah definitely got to have the permits for that. Yeah, because we've been seeing the similar things here in Arizona with our with our ammo availability. So, like, like you said, Brooke, we got we can get seventeen. I could walk into any shop out here and, and buy a box of seventeens, but twenty twos are hard hard to find. And and uh, man, I ain't seen a box of two twenty threes or five five sixes on a shelf in months. But, uh, you know, we're also uh, a very AR-friendly state. AR, everybody down here has got four or five of them, it seems like. And they, I think I'm the only one that can't feed mine, to tell you the truth. But uh, I know a lot of guys down here have been building them in, like, 6.5 Creedmoor and 6.5 Grendel, that kind of stuff. Because, again, they're using them for taking them out in the desert, taking this 15-pound AR out, packing them up and down the hills. And so you guys are nuts. But uh, no, I'm trying to think. Of, I think we've covered just about everything I wanted to cover today. Talked about uh, wires. Talked about bird balls. Talked about riprap. Uh, I especially like the RC boats and trucks. I think those are. I think that's going to be the new thing. Um, is, yeah, actually, the one we didn't talk about, and it's not one. It's not really a viable option right now, but uh, might be in the future. Is what do you guys think about the future of drones? As far as using those for management. I think you have to be a really good drone pilot in order to do that. Um, Just the other day, I was watching two eagles swooping down on a bunch of mallards. And they'd get real close and then pull up again like you would a drone. And the mallards were, like, kind of coming around here and there. But none of them were taking off and none of them were leaving the area. Um, So if there's an actual predator that's not scaring waterfowl... Uh, I can't see drones being awesome unless you're using drones. That, like, I know cops have a thing now where they can put like a PA system on a drone and then playing distress calls. That might be something, but I think just a drone itself, it's not going to be great. They're going to get used to it. They're going to know it's not a predator. Well, what if you were to pair it with more like active management, like you know, shooting and then using the drone... But at that well, point, if you're using I mean, the drone, you're doing might as well active keep management and you're shooting, like might as well just keep shooting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of anyone say like, "Oh, well, I'm shooting and killing all these geese, and they keep coming back." Usually, like you kill a few, and they know not to be laying in there anymore. Right. Oop, we lost Brooke. I had uh, one person at one of the trainings I was given. He, we were talking, got on the subject about drones for uh, harassment, and he he thought it'd be a good idea to put a like a paintball gun or a pellet rifle. 
attach that to the drone, so you don't need to do all that swooping that the eagle does. Mm -hmm. But I still think you need to be pretty uh, adequate in operating the drone, otherwise it's going to sink or get too close to the ground. Yeah. Yeah, that's a... Well, just I was... wanted to ask anyway, see what you guys thought about it, but I think you're right that it's not there yet. Although there are some tools like... um. Uh, what was it called? The Row Falcon. There's a, it's a European model. Brad, were you around when they did a demo for that or? No. Well, I know Cody. Like they came and did a, a demonstration for Cody, and it's a pretty cool tool. It's not the cheapest one around, but it's a drone. But it's not like a quad rotor type of drone. It's basically a, a jet RC plane, but it's got, it's been painted to detail to look like a bird. Hmm. I, I've been wondering about like using like, uh, like falconry, how that would work. I've had people ask me at trainings, and I don't know much about falconry, uh, and how that would work with geese. I assume it'd work pretty well, but yeah, I don't I know, know about a, geese. A big bird to take down a goose. Yeah, he doesn't need to take it down. It just needs to scare it enough. Um, well, an issue if you talk to falconers, um, I have a buddy up in Fairbanks that has. He had a red-tailed hawk, and he had a some sort of peregrine, maybe. Um, the issue was is that his even his red-tailed hawk was getting hurt, like, attacking geese. And I don't know if it's, like, crash landing, if it was, like, a dumb bird. I don't know if, like, just that goose, like, flapping its wings a little bit was, like, running into him. And his little falcon was great on ducks, um, but, like, a mallard is, like, pushing its limit for being able to carry so, unless you get falconry with, like, a golden eagle, I don't think it's going to end well. <laughs> <laughs> and even oh, then, you're, 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 you don't want to be going after the geese. But, uh... I know, I know. There was oh. one, uh, uh... I don't know if you were out in... I think it's... Yeah, Elmira. If you had worked out in Elmira, Jesse, but they had put some tiger musky out there to see if that would work. Because I guess tiger musky are supposed to nip at the feet of geese in the water. Um, they did put the muskies in. Yeah, they did. I didn't know if you were around when they did that, but I mean, I, when I was out there, I didn't see any muskie. I guess they only put in like fifteen or less. Um, but I always, I was seeing mergansers out there, so I don't know if if, uh, if they got. I don't know how big tiger muskie get, but I don't know if that if they got eaten up or not. And there's always heron too. So right, yeah. I don't know if that, if that took care of the fish. So but there's yeah, always geese out have. there. Just yeah, they might. Have. Yeah, when I was out there, we were they were. Cody was just starting to look for a place to get them. And then right about then is when uh, I moved to Arizona. But I I hadn't heard anything else. Yeah, I didn't know if if anyone uh, else knew any information on the the subjects, on the subject. No, unless Crystal or Brooke have. Um, I was going to comment on the drone thing. But then my power just went out, so then I had to quickly get connected to my mobile hotspot. Hence why it's now really dark in my room. Um, I, uh, the, what Crystal was saying about being a really good pilot, and I don't know how if you guys, like, really touched on this since I was MIA for a second. Um, I've chased pigeons with drones, and it is the most nerve-wracking thing when you have $5,000 sitting in your hand, and you're like, this flock of pigeons is going to end my college career because we're doing it for class. And I was like, they're going to kill me if I destroy their drone. 
because, you know, some birds fly into it. Like, that would be something, like, you, like she said, you just would have to be, like, such a high-skilled person. And I know, like, it's not, like, extremely hard flying a drone. Like, I've done it quite a few times. But, like, it's like playing a video game. But when you are adding animals that are, like, flight risk, obviously, into that mess, it could be kind of scary. Right. Another thing I didn't think about, um, we talked about drones a little bit when I was at Hutch, and my airport manager was also a pilot, um, and he says he really doesn't want to mess with drones or do anything with drones at all, because if he, like, messes up on some sort of, like, regulation with the drones, whether it's, like, for wildlife or just, like, for operating drones in general, they'll take away his drone's pilot license as well as his regular pilot's license. Um, at the same time and so he's drones are just too new for him to be like risking his pilot's license over which I mean Brooke doesn't have her pilot's license like she could probably like lose her drone's license it's fine but your smaller airports where like airport managers and staff are also pilots that could be an issue where they don't want to operate it right then you get the whole you know will that drone even operate in that airspace kind of thing you know depending on its programming and because I know it's, you know, with, here at Sky Harbor, it's Class B, and, you know, they don't even work here. But. I think it'd be a lot uh, more efficient to just get a bunch of RC cars and boats. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think get a lot of RC cars and RC boats for uh, $5,000. <laughs> well, at that That's point... Six to the ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, might be... Yeah, maybe that's something in the future, you know, something will change or... Because I think there's got to be some changes in the regulations. I think the FAA is going to change that Part 107, those regs, and, you know, make it so it's more viable and not so tied to your, you know, your small aircraft license or your pilot's license like uh, like they are now. Because, I mean, they're considered an aircraft. You know, they have the same regs as a 737 for the most part. You know, a few nuances, but... Sorry, this guy's biting the snot out of my hands right now. But, uh... But... I guess if you guys are good, I think we've covered, touched on everything I got. Um, you guys want to go kind of the same order we did in the introductions, and uh, you guys have any give some closing comments? Um, I don't have any closing comments, but other than it is great to like you know hear how um, the rest of the country kind of has to deal with their waterfowl issues. Like I'm very excited to see what this migration is all about here in the Midwest. Um, so I like to keep you know refreshing my brain to like you know have these conversations to like you know it's all educational for you know people who are in the field and who aren't in the field so it's kind of great to get to talk to everyone about it yeah pretty much what brooke says um i'm i'm also glad that i'm not the only one that's struggling to find ammo um but yeah i mean we have our conference calls and so we talk about this stuff kind of but not too too in depth so i think it's good to that we got a smaller group to talk about it, and I hope hopefully it helps other airports and people dealing dealing with geese. Yeah. You got any closing comments, Crystal? No, not really. I'm still. I mean, I've only been up here in Alaska two weeks now, and I'm still trying to figure out this whole coastal game. So, I guess we'll keep talking about it in future calls. All right. <laughs> yeah, that works for me. Um. Yeah, as far as closing comments, I think I think uh, I'm actually going to go a little bit with what Brad had said a little bit, and maybe this is something we can kind of do a little bit more often, having you know picking a subject and you know getting some folks together and maybe seeing how everybody else does it. You know, in addition to our conference calls, but 
you know, actually having that place where we can discuss our, our each individual tactics and, you know, how maybe each, else, each state differs. But apart from that, I guess I just uh, say thank you guys for coming on. I think we had a really good conversation, and I hope everybody has a good rest of their night. You too, guys. All right. All right, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.